Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right. Good morning, kids. Where are you guys at this morning? Raise your hands up. All right. So my first question for you, and I want you to know that I have five answers to this question. Tell me what your favorite breakfast foods are. What do you got, Marshall? Eggos. Eggos? Eggo waffles? Okay. That's on the list. What do you got on the back? Pancakes? Nice. Desmond? Did he say hair? Air? Okay, that's better than hair. Nolan? William? Biscuits and gravy. Ben? Sausage? Josie? Eggs, Evie. Ooh, Levian. Cereal, Eleanor. Oatmeal, Lucy. What? Monkey bread. <laughs> Levi. Yogurt. Lucas. Waffles, Eli. Mabel. Pizza. <laughs> I mean, breakfast pizza. You already went. Okay. All right. Let me... Oh, what do you got? Ari. Taco Bell. Nice. All right. My, my top five breakfast foods, and you guys said some of them, waffles, donuts. I can't believe nobody said donuts with all the donuts you guys eat in there. Uh... Breakfast tacos, breakfast burritos, and bacon. No one said bacon. But, you know, it's probably on the breakfast pizza and the tacos, Taco Bell, yeah. All right, so we all love breakfast food. I want you to imagine a scenario with me, a situation, okay? Let's say tonight, after church, you go home, and your parents are like, hey, you really need to clean up your room. But you don't clean up your room. Instead, you make a bigger mess. And then it's time to go to bed, and you go to bed, and you sleep. And the next morning, you wake up, and your mom and dad made for you your favorite breakfast food. Would you be happy about that? Would you be like, 
I deserved that. I was such a good kid yesterday. No. And what about like when you're sleeping? When you're sleeping, are you like doing something to like, you know, earn your parents' favor? Or you're like, I did such a good job laying in my bed. You owed me those waffles in the morning. What do you think? Yes or no? No, right? Okay. The reason why we're talking about this in, the, in this passage that Miss Crystal just read for us, God says that we were dead in our sin, right? That's kind of like when we're sleeping in our beds, right? We're not, we're not doing anything. Like we couldn't, we couldn't earn God's favor. We couldn't make him love us. We were, we were dead in our sin. But when we were dead in our sin, Paul says that God, because of his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Jesus. It's, it's because he showed his grace to us. Even though we didn't deserve it, he gave grace to us. He loved us. He showed us mercy. He made us alive together with Jesus. He gave us the, the best possible thing we could have, even though we were the worst possible person we could be. Um, that is God's grace to us in Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel of what he's done for us. And so kids, go home today. Ask your parents what, what they learned from this passage in Ephesians about what Jesus has done for us. Parents, go home. Talk to your kids more about the good news of Jesus. And, you know, maybe sometime soon, make them some delicious breakfast food. Let's, let's pray, and we're going to get into this passage this morning. Father, we thank you that you, you are not like us. You are, you are holy, and you are just, and you have mercy and grace that, that even when we were dead in our sins, even when we were in, in outright rebellion against you, you loved us. And you showered us with mercy and grace and made us alive in Jesus. We pray this morning that you would, you would send your spirit to, to help us to, to understand more of the gospel this morning, to appreciate more of the gospel this morning, that, that we would, would know more of, of the immeasurable riches of your grace toward us in Jesus today. Spirit, we need you to do this work for us because because sadly, this is a familiar passage and a familiar story, and it, and it doesn't overwhelm us like it should. So we pray that you would, you would stir our affections for you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So thus far in Ephesians, we've, we've had Paul's introduction to the letter where he said, hey, I'm Paul, I'm writing to the Ephesians, uh, and then we've gotten two sentences. And we're already a chapter in. So if you ever have any aspirations of writing a book, like follow Paul's plan. Two sentences, new chapter. The first sentence, Paul kind of overflowed in praise to God for what he's done for us in Jesus. He said that God has blessed us in Christ 
with, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he kind of, kind of unpacked some of those blessings. And then the second sentence, which we talked about last week, Paul gave thanks for and then, and then prayed for the Ephesians. And he prayed specifically that the Holy Spirit would enable them to, to know the hope that they've been called to, to know the, the glorious riches of, of God's inheritance in the saints, in us, and also that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us in Jesus. And so today, we get to, to probably one of, one of the most familiar passages uh, in Ephesians, maybe even in the New Testament as a whole. And, and personally for me, like this, this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament because it's such a, a clear and, and simple and, and succinct explanation of what God has done for us in Jesus, right? If you want a, want a clear explanation of the gospel, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is, is one of the best in Scripture. It tells us who we were uh, before God intervened in our life. It tells us what he did to save us. It tells us more about, about who God is and why he saved us. It gives us some of the purpose uh, behind why we've been saved and what we've been saved for. And it reminds us uh, in multiple places that our salvation, it's, it's not our own doing. It's, it's a gift from God. God did it. And so this is a, a pretty pivotal passage, not just in Ephesians, but in the New Testament as a whole. Um, it, it kind of, along with what we've already seen in Ephesians chapter 1, it forms the foundation uh, that Paul is going to kind of launch his application from in the second half of Ephesians. And so, so far, as we get into the passage, like up to this point in Ephesians, God, or Paul has been talking mostly about what God has done for us in Jesus. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, he kind of, kind of shifts momentarily for a few verses to talk about us. And I don't know if you were listening when Crystal was reading, but it's, it's not very flattering. He says, and you, that's the Ephesians people, that's us also, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So this Paul says, is, is who we were before God stepped into our life. We were dead. Apart, apart from Jesus, we are Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, Paul is describing the situation that you're in apart from Jesus. If you have trusted in Christ, this is who you were. You were, you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, in which we he says, we, in which we once walked. So Paul here, side note, is assuming that this is a past tense activity for the Ephesians, right? He's saying the sins in which you once walked, as in you're like, you're not, you're not walking them any, in them anymore. Like he's saying like these, these kinds of behaviors, the sins and trespasses, they, they characterize your life before Jesus but after Jesus, our life should look differently. There's been this, this shift, this, this fundamental kind of break with our old life. You, you used to live this way. You used to walk this way, but you don't anymore. Now, obviously, we know that doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore, but, but our life should not be characterized as us walking in it. He also says, he says, you, you know, they didn't just walk in sin. They were, they were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. So they, they were dead, they, they walked, they lived in sin, and they followed. They followed the course 
of this world. So instead of living the life that God had for them, they, they did what kind of the world wanted them to do. They lived in light of it. They rejected him, rejected his rule over them, uh, rejected his ways, and turned to the world's ways instead. He also says they followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. So they didn't just follow the world's ways. They also followed the devil's ways. He's kind of the exemplar of, of all those who rebel against God. Uh, and so he leads them astray, leads many to disobey and reject God. And he says that they were, you know, part of this, these, these sons of disobedience, this large, large group that rejected God. Verse 3, that's who all of us are apart from Jesus. He says, all of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul's saying that apart from Jesus, at, at our core, our, our very nature, we're, we're children of wrath. We rebelled against God. We rejected him. We rejected what he wanted for us. And instead are just kind of living our lives, heaping up destruction on ourselves. Paul's saying, this is who you were. All of us were like this. And this is something we need to realize. Is that all of us, this is who we are without Jesus. Because I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we hear a passage like this and we think, yeah, like that's who everyone is apart from Christ. But, but I wasn't that bad. I'm sure there are people out there that, that were this bad, but, but me, I wasn't that bad. And, and honestly, like maybe outwardly, like you, you weren't that bad. You know, like a lot of times people will, you know, you'll, you'll hear testimonies where people are like, you know, I was all these horrible things. And then Jesus stepped into my life. And then you'll hear other people sharing their story. And they'll be like, I was raised in a Christian home. And like, they're almost like apologetic because they didn't have the other kind of story. But the reality is whether we were outwardly bad or just inwardly bad, like this is who we all are. Right? We don't do, apart from Jesus, we don't do what God wants us to do. Instead, we do what we want to do. If we do good things, it's for selfish, prideful, sinful reasons. Right? We live, Paul says, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, whatever we feel, we do. Carrying out the desires of the mind, whatever we think we want to do, we do. Like This is who we are. And this is gospel truth. Because if we don't understand who we were apart from Christ, we will not understand what Christ has done for us, right? We'll think instead that we, we deserve to be saved, right? Or, or, or maybe even just more subtly than that, we won't think we're deserving, but we'll think we're more deserving than someone else. We'll think that like we were, you know, more able on our own than we are, or we'll think that like, you know, if I just, if I just try hard enough, or if I just do better enough, then, then I'll be fine. See, if we don't embrace the reality of who we are apart from Jesus, we won't understand, we won't appreciate, we won't live in the reality of who we are in Jesus. That's why Paul starts here. 
That's why he starts with this is who you were, because he wants the Ephesians to know and believe and live in light of the reality of who they are in Jesus. That's what he's going to tell them in the second half of the passage. And so, so if we don't get these first three verses, we won't get the, the next verses. We won't understand this, this shift that happens in verse four. So, so listen again to these verses. I'm going to read them again. And when you hear you hear, don't think generic person. Think me. He's, he's talking about you. He's talking about me as individuals. Listen. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Right? Even when we were dead, right? Even when we were verses one through three, like we couldn't, when you're dead, I don't know if you know this, but you don't do anything. Right? We couldn't do any good. We couldn't do anything to earn his favor or earn his love. Like We were dead. We were dead in our trespasses. We were in outright rebellion against God and rejection of him and his ways. Like That's who we were. That was our condition. And Paul says, even then, he made us alive. He brought us from death to life. How did he do that? He did that together with Christ. He made us alive together with him. In Romans 6, Paul shows that we're united with Jesus in both his death and his resurrection life. We're, we're, we're dead to our sin in him, and, and we're raised up to walk in a new kind of life. And so Paul is saying here in Ephesians 2 something very similar. Like it's, it's because of our union with Jesus, because we're together with him, that we're brought from death to life. In Jesus, we're made alive. Apart from Jesus, we are dead. Like that's, that's our story. And Paul says that even when we were dead, God made us alive together with Christ. Our response to that should be, why? Right? Why, why would he do that? We wouldn't do that. Well, Paul tells us, because God is different than we are. He gives us two reasons. First, God is rich in mercy. Being rich in mercy, that's, that's one of the reasons why he did it. That's one of his motivations. And so in chapter one, we saw that God is, is rich in grace and he, he lavishes it upon us. Now Paul is saying God is rich in mercy. And often I think we tend to kind of push grace and mercy together and think that they're kind of the same thing. But, but they're really not. Like grace, as we're going to see in a few verses, is, is unmerited favor, right? It's God doing something for us that, that we don't deserve. He doesn't treat us like we deserve. Instead, he treats us like we don't deserve. So we get salvation from him, even though we haven't done anything to earn it or deserve it. Uh, instead, right, we should be left in our sins. We should be left in our death. But mercy, on the other hand, it is, it's kind of like merited love. It's, it's love based on something in someone else, but not, not good things in someone else. Uh, mercy is like, it's, it's pity or compassion based on need and helplessness. 
And so it's seeing someone who's, who's suffering or, or weak and they, they can't do anything to change their place and having compassion and pity on them and taking action to help them. God is rich in mercy. He, he knows how helpless we are. He, he knows uh, that far more than we do, right? And in, in verses 1 through 3, Paul makes that very clear that God knows who we are apart from Jesus. And because he's rich in mercy, because he has compassion, he took action to help, to to save us, to to redeem us in Jesus. Even when we were dead, he had mercy on us. You've probably heard somebody say the phrase that God helps those who help themselves. That's not true. In fact, because God is merciful, the opposite is true. He helps those who can't help themselves. Right? We were dead in our trespasses. Dead people can't help themselves. They're dead. But because God is rich in mercy, he helped us when we couldn't. The second reason that Paul gives for why God made us alive together with Jesus is related to his mercy. He says, because of the great love with which he loved us. So he made us alive together with Jesus because he's because uh, he's merciful, and because of the great love with which he loved us. Now, this phrase here, because of the great love with which he loved us, is, is something that, that I have not yet quite wrapped my mind around. And like really, like all of these verses are, right? Like we're, we're going to spend the rest of our lives understanding more and more of the gospel. But, but this one in particular kind of throws me. So listen to, to verse in the first part of verse 5 again. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So, he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Now, I would expect that what Paul would say here is because of the great love with which he loves us. Like now, because of Jesus, God loves us. But then when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you know, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, you know, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, then like he didn't. Now he does because of Jesus, but, but then he doesn't. But that's not, that's not what Paul says. Because God is rich in mercy for reasons that I think are forever going to just surpass our understanding, even when we were dead in our sins, even when we were in outright rebellion against him, even when we rejected everything he had for us, even then God loved us because of the great love with which he loved us. He made us alive together with Jesus. And this is important. Because sometimes, I think some of us feel very unlovable. As if, you know, we're, we're, we're not worthy of love from other people. You know, like even, even when we're at our best, and, and certainly not when we're at our worst. But right here in this passage is a reminder that God loved us with, with great love. 
Not our capacity for love, with his capacity for love. He loved us with great love even when we were at our absolute worst. And so when you struggle to believe that God loves you, when you you struggle to, to live in that reality, remember that he loved you when you were dead in your sin. Like how much more does he love you in Christ? And at the end of the verse, Paul interjects, by grace you have been saved. And he he doesn't want us to miss this point. He's going to make it again in a few verses. But right here, he kind of interrupts things to, to say that God made us alive in Jesus when we were dead in our sin, at a point when we couldn't do anything to deserve it. Like it's, it's because of his grace. And then he's going to unpack this more in verse 8. But before we get there, verse 6, God did more than just make us alive in Jesus. Because of his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Jesus. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So last week in Paul's prayer, Paul talked about how God had had raised Jesus from the dead and seated Jesus in the heavenly places. And then now we find out that God in Jesus did the same thing for us. And and this part is is a little difficult to understand because right now we aren't seated in the heavenly places, right? You guys are all seated out there and I'm standing up here. Like we're, we're not up there. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying like because of our union with Jesus, because we're in Christ, we share in his position and his standing before the Father. Or maybe in this case, his seating before the Father. We have this position in Jesus. And this is encouraging to us. It's comforting to us because what this means is that if we've trusted in Christ for salvation, then we're in Jesus. We're we're seated with him before the Father. It means that Jesus is kind of, it is finished on the cross. It applies to us. Like there's a sense in which us and our salvation is done and accomplished. There's, There's nothing left to do. We're saved. We have standing before the Father because of Jesus. We share in his inheritance. We've been raised up with him and seated with him. Positionally, that's our salvation. But practically, we still need to walk it out. We still need to live it out. Here, Paul tells us that we're seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. But in chapter 4, he's going to tell us to to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In chapter 6, he's going to tell us to to stand against the schemes of the devil. Like we have this standing, this, this position in Jesus, but there's still stuff left for us to do. Everything's done. We just need to live in the doneness. And we're going to talk about that more in verse 10. And so what then is the purpose of us having been made alive in Jesus and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places? Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God saved us in this way. We were dead. He made us alive. He did it in this way so that for the coming ages, the the rest of time, like all the other ages that follow, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. So that means that in our salvation for the rest of time, God is going to put on display the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus. 
And I want us to understand here that, it, that it's, it's not that it, that it can't be measured, but that, that we can't measure it. And so, like, imagine with me that we're going to measure, like, all the, the flour in the world. Right? We're going to make a ginormous cake. And so to make this ginormous cake, we are going to stockpile every single tiny bit of flour in the entire world. And then we're going to measure it. And so to measure this flour, we either have to build a big enough scoop, or because we're legit bakers, we know that you don't scoop flour, you weigh it. So we're going to build a big scale so that we can have this giant scale and, you know, get this massive pile of flour and weigh it. And then we will know this is the amount of flour we have in this world. That would be ridiculous. But that's something that if we really wanted to do it and we got everyone in the world on the same page, like we could make that happen. As crazy as it is. But with the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. What I want to be clear to us is that there isn't a big enough scoop. Uh, we can't build a big enough scale. It's not, it's not that we, you know, don't have the physical capacity to measure it. It's that in our finiteness, in our limits as human beings, this is something that is always going to be beyond our capacity to understand. And so Paul says, we're going to spend the coming ages, the, the rest of time, every single age that follows, we're going to be growing in our understanding of and appreciation of the immeasurable riches of his kindness toward us in Jesus. We're going to get to a point that we're going to think, hey, I think, I think we finally know all of it. And then there's just going to be more and more and more and more of it that follows. We will always be growing in our understanding of it. And Paul here says that it's the riches of his grace and kindness toward us. Like this is, this is just one aspect of his grace and kindness toward us. And yet it's still immeasurable. Paul's going to explain more of this in verse 8 when he, when he talks about how we've been saved by grace through faith. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is one of the ways, a specific way in which God is immeasurably rich in grace toward us. So Paul says we were dead. God made us alive in Jesus. By grace, we've been saved. We've been saved by grace through faith. So we become beneficiaries of this grace, of this salvation through faith, through placing our faith in Jesus and believing what he says about himself. And he says... That even this faith, it's not something we can boast about either. It's a gift also. Like none of this, none of our salvation, none of anything that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 1 through 9 is something that we do. It's something that's been done for us, done to us by God. It is a gift. It's not a result of our works or what we do or who we are. It's the gift of God. Like Paul here is making that clear to us. Like there is no credit for us to take in this situation. Like, our salvation is a group project. But it's the kind of group project where one person does all the work and the other people take all the credit for. 
because of his mercy, because he, he loved us. When we were dead and, and undeserving and incapable of doing anything to deserve it, he made us alive in Jesus. We have, have no reason to boast in our salvation other than in the grace God has shown to us in Jesus. And so Paul, verse 9, makes it clear that we have, have been saved by grace. And then in verse 10, he's going to make it clear that we are being saved and will be saved by grace. Look at verse 10. He says, he starts with four. So he's, he's explaining more about the fact that our salvation is, is by grace and not by works. So we're not able to boast. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is important because we might get to a place where we think, okay, cool. God saved me by grace. But now, now I do my thing. Now, now I make up for all the work that he did on the group project by trying to like pay him back. But look at what God has done for us here. He's done two things as we seek to kind of walk and work out this salvation. First, he, he created us in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship. So, so we've been made new in Jesus. He, he made us the first time. We've been knit together in our mother's womb. And then when we put our faith in Jesus, he, he remakes us. Specifically, Paul says here, we've been uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So he, he made us in Jesus for good works. So before, we were dead and our trespasses and sins. We followed the course of the world. We followed the prince of the power of the air. We, we did whatever we wanted, however we wanted. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We rejected God. But God, because he's rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive. And when he made us alive, he made us for good works. Like we're his workmanship. We have a, a new identity and a new purpose in his creation. So we've been remade for good works. That's some of the purpose of us being remade. And then the second thing, he did. He not only created us for good works, but he prepared the good works beforehand. So he remade me, he remade you so that we're equipped and empowered to, to do the good works that he wants us to do. And then he prepared all of those good works for us. He, he put a plan in motion of good works for us to walk in. And so in, in cooking, there's this, this French term, uh, it's like mise en place or something like that. And what it means is like everything in its place. And so if you look at a like professional kitchen, it's very, very organized. And usually like the chef, the person that is like responsible for making all the best things, like they're not doing all the work. Someone else is like cutting vegetables and measuring ingredients, and they just bring them to the chef for the chef to put together into the dish. Like imagine if every single time you went to cook in your house, they're like, that's how it was. Like you said, this is the recipe, and then like all the ingredients are on the counter in little cups measured exactly. Like all the utensils that you'll need for the, for the recipe are there. The pots, the pans, everything. Like the, the, everything is clean and organized and ready. And all you have to do is just walk into the kitchen and make the meal. Like wouldn't that be phenomenal? And then like 
the magical kitchen fairies come along and clean it all up afterwards. That's like what God has done for us in good works. Like he, has, he has prepared everything for us. He has made us for those moments because of his grace, because of the great love with which he loved us and loves us still. All that we have to do is walk in what he's done for us. He made us for that moment. He made that moment for us. All we have to do is show up and be who he's made us to be. That truth is so encouraging to me as I think about life. Because I don't know if you know this, but, but life is hard. Right? Parenting is difficult. Marriage is difficult. Being a pastor is difficult. Whatever you have for your job, your life is difficult. Right? The things that we do in this world do not come easy. But I have to trust, even when it's hard, that in those moments, like God made me for this. And he's prepared this good work beforehand for me to walk in. Which means two things. Number one, it means I can go into moments with, with confidence instead of fear and anxiety. And it also means that when I come out of moments, my response isn't, man, I killed that moment. Like, I did great there. Like, God saved me, but I saved that situation. Instead, what we realize is that God saved me, and God's still saving me. Like, he's still making me new. He's still growing me. He's still redeeming me. I'm walking in the good works that he's prepared me for and prepared for me just more grace that I get to live in and walk in and experience. And so ultimately, this whole passage, it exists to remind us of God's grace to us in Jesus. Because of the great love with which he loved us, because he's rich in mercy, even when we were dead, he made us alive. By grace, we've been saved. And even the good works that we do now, we do because he made us for them and he made them for us. It's by grace that we've been saved. And so all of our salvation, past, present, and future, is because of the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus. And we get to spend the coming ages, all of them, together with Jesus growing in the knowledge of just how rich in grace he is. Right? That every moment of every day for the rest of time, we're going to be like, we need a bigger scoop. Because it's more than I thought. And so we get to spend the rest of our time together this morning praising God for the grace that he's shown us in Jesus. And we get to spend the rest of all of our relationship with one another 
doing that together because we're never going to come to the end of the grace that he's shown us in Jesus. Let's pray and we'll continue in worship this morning. Father, I thank you that that you, you made us and you know us. You, you know us better than we know ourselves. And that even when we were dead in our sin, even when we were running in rebellion away from you, you made us alive in Jesus. And that even now, even though you've made us for good works and made good works for us, we still fall short. And you're still rich in mercy. You're still great in grace. And you continue to love us. pray that you would, you would help us, that you would show us more mercy and give us more grace. We know that your grace is sufficient for our time of need. And so we pray that you would help us to, to walk in confidence in the good works you've prepared beforehand for us. Not so that people would see us, but so that people would give glory to our Father in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen.